Psalm 104. As we consider the Almighty God, the power of God and His strength, His glory, and then connect that blessed truth to the fatherhood of God, it is good to set the parameters of our consideration with a psalm of glory, a psalm that proclaims the strength and the creativity, the creative power of God and His sovereign providence. So Psalm 104, hear God's holy word as we consider it together and receive it. Praise the Lord, O my soul. O Lord, my God, you are very great. You are clothed with splendor and majesty. He wraps himself in light as with a garment. He stretches out the heavens like a tent and lays the beams of his upper chambers on their waters. He makes the clouds his chariot and rides on the wings of the wind. He makes winds his messengers, flames of fire his servants. He set the earth on its foundations. It can never be moved. You covered it with the deep as with a garment. The waters stood above the mountains, but at your rebuke the waters fled. At the sound of your thunder they took to flight. They flowed over the mountains. They went down into the valleys to the place you assigned for them. You set a boundary they cannot cross. Never again will they cover the earth. He makes springs pour water into the ravines. It flows between the mountains. They give water to all the beasts of the field. The wild donkeys quench their thirst. The birds of the air nest by the waters. They sing among the branches. He waters the mountains from his upper chambers. The earth is satisfied by the fruit of his work. He makes grass grow for the cattle and plants for man to cultivate, bringing forth food from the earth, wine that gladdens the heart of man, oil to make his face shine, and bread that sustains his heart. The trees of the Lord are well watered, the cedars of Lebanon that he planted. There the birds make their nests. The stork has its home in the pine trees. The high mountains belong to the wild goats. The crags are a refuge for the conies. The moon marks off the seasons, and the sun knows when to go down. You bring darkness, it becomes night, and all the beasts of the forest prowl. The lions roar for their prey and seek their food from God. The sun rises, and they steal away. They return and lie down in their dens. Then man goes out to his work, to his labor until evening. Oh, how many are your works, O Lord? In wisdom you made them all. The earth is full of your creatures. There is the sea, vast and spacious, teeming with creatures beyond number, living things both large and small. There the ships go to and fro, and the Leviathan, which you formed to frolic there. These all look to you, to give them their food at the proper time. When you give it to them, they gather it up. When you open your hand, they are satisfied with good things. When you hide your face, they are terrified. When you take away their breath, they die and return to, du- to the dust. When you send your spirit, they are created, and you renew the face of the earth. May the glory of the Lord endure forever. May the Lord rejoice in his works. 
He who looks at the earth and it trembles, who touches the mountains and they smoke. I will sing to the Lord all my life. I will sing praise to my God as long as I live. May my meditation be pleasing to him as I rejoice in the Lord. But may sinners vanish from the earth and the wicked be no more. Praise the Lord, O my soul. Praise the Lord. Grass withers, flower fades. The word of our God endures forever. Lord's Day 9, if you would go in the back of the blue hymnal, page 16, we'll read the answer together of our catechism question tonight. Lord's Day 9, as we unfold over the next several weeks the Apostles' Creed. What do you believe when you say, I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth? That the eternal Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who out of nothing created heaven and earth and everything in them, who still upholds and rules them by his eternal counsel and providence, is my God and Father, Because of Christ, his Son, I trust him so much that I do not doubt he will provide whatever I need for body and soul, and he will turn to my good whatever adversity he sends me in this sad world. He is able to do this because he is Almighty God. He desires to do this. Because he is a faithful father. I always think that in Lord's Day 9, we hear whispers of Lord's Day 1 and the power, the sovereignty of of God and how he turns all things to our good. Psalm 104 is an amazing psalm. And it, it means to impress upon us really the, the width and the depth, the breadth of God's sovereignty and his power. And it's interesting as it gets to the end, uh, and the end there is the response of the psalmist saying, I will glorify you. I will praise you, O my God. And I think that One of the reasons for that is is that the crown of God's creation, man and woman, made in the image of God, that we are especially created to glorify God. It all gives God glory. Everything in this world, it it gives Him glory and it, it glorifies Him. The things that He has made and the order of this world and the many ways in which He provides for His creatures, it it all is for Him and for His glory, but we as His people are especially uh, to glorify Him. We who have been given hearts and souls and wills uh, to seek Him and to rejoice in all the good things that He has done. One of the fun things that uh, family Bible time with uh, such young kiddos at home can be a, a rather crazy, chaotic time. But uh, one thing that's been going on after Bible time now is my older daughter 
has started to kind of, we were having her do all these Bible memorization exercises. And uh, she kind of wants to, you know, be impressive and stuff. So after we're done with this, she'll act like she knows more than she actually knows. And what she'll do is she'll start stringing together pieces of ideas or truths that she's heard from Scripture, and she'll try to make it sound like a verse. And then she'll say, "Where? what verse was that? And I'll have to tell her, well, it really wasn't a verse. You're just, a lot of things you're saying are true and they're good. One of the things that she's centered on recently and repeated it several times as she's been doing this and she says uh, God we thank you that you love us more than all you have made and you even love us more than making things and uh, that was kind of interesting that stuck in my head that God loves us more than all he has made okay and he loves us more than even making things you think of like uh, a woodworker who has the, the project before him to, to finish. And the finished project, he loves it even more than the process. I don't know. Some woodworkers may love the process more, but it is true that God loves his people, uh, the crown of his creation. He loves them even more than making things. And we have those ideas come together for us in places like Psalm 104, in our catechism tonight, the power of God to create. He is almighty, and yet he is a, a father. So when we think about the Apostles' Creed, and, and we say it here, and such a blessing to say the Apostles' Creed, Lord's Day after Lord's Day, to, as you reflect upon your own spiritual life, and your own life in Christ, the, the, the blessing to look back and say, Uh, Each and every Lord's Day, I have said those words, the the Catholic Christian faith, the universal faith uh, by which we are saved. And when we say, I believe in God the Father Almighty, it's probably natural for us to to take that entire phrase as referring exclusively to the person of the Father. But uh, it's interesting, most commentators on the Apostles' Creed and many of our Reformed forefathers emphasize that when we say the creed and we say, I believe in God, the Father, we should be thinking in our minds that when we say God, we are thinking of the triune God. I believe in God, that is the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. So that's just something to keep in mind as we unpack the Apostles' Creed over the next several weeks. And interesting to think about Uh, just the ways in which we approach Scripture, and perhaps you noticed it this morning where I uh, intentionally was, in our prayers, we were addressing all three persons of the Trinity. This is something that I believe I've grown in my understanding of, and we need to have this be more of a central practice, that not every single prayer ought to be to the Father, in the Son, by the Spirit. We can also address the Son in our prayers and the Holy Spirit in our prayers so that we impress upon our minds all three persons of the Trinity are equal in power and in glory. There's also another sense in which uh, the triune God is the Father of all the living. When the Apostle Paul is speaking uh, on Mars Hill, Acts 17, he says, uh, we all, he, he, uh, he refers to this general fatherhood of God, and he says, all of us, all human beings, we are his offspring, uh, the true God. That, that is, a, the, because 
God has created in the Son and by the Spirit, the triune God has created all things. And He is, in a sense, God, our triune God, is the Father of all of the living. But when we confess as God's people that we have the Father as our Father, we are particularly talking, of course, there about the first person of the Trinity. And so we will uh, have two main ideas tonight. The first is this, is that the Father is almighty creator of heaven and earth. He is almighty creator of heaven and earth. And then second, he is our Father. So first, he is almighty creator of heaven and earth. And second, he is our Father. What we see in Psalm 104 and so many places elsewhere in Scripture is that God is almighty. He can do whatever is in his will to do. There is no force in all of the universe that can stop him. Uh, There is no force in all of the universe that can overcome him. Psalm 115, our God is in the heavens. He does all that he pleases. Not only does, can God do whatever he wills to do, but he does only what he wills to do. He never does anything outside of his will. He is a, a perfect being. He is pure in all that he does. He, he does only what he wills to do. Philosophers and perhaps theologians have kind of gone past the boundaries of what's, where it's responsible to ponder God and have brought up questions like, can God sin? Or uh, can God make a rock so big that he can't lift it? These kinds of things. And of course, orthodox theologians have always responded that God will only do that which accords with his character. He can never go against his character. He cannot uh, lie. He cannot sin. And that doesn't, that doesn't mean that there are things that he cannot do in terms of his power. Sinning, lying, Uh, being morally corrupt, these are actually acts of impotency. These are acts that show a lack of power, and therefore God does not do them. We know, of course, from being biblical Christians, that one of the most central things that the Bible impresses upon us is the, the power of God. He is almighty. But there are duties that emerge from the power of God. How do we live knowing that God is the supreme being? How do we live knowing that he is all glorious? Well, the first thing that we are to do is that we are to humble ourselves as we consider the might and the strength of God. 1 Peter 5, humble yourselves therefore under the mighty hand of God so that at the proper time he may exalt you. Isaiah 2 looks forward to the day of judgment and says this, The haughty looks of man shall be brought low, and the lofty pride of men shall be humbled, and the Lord alone will be exalted in that day. It's one of the great blessings of being a Christian, isn't it? That you live in light of the day of judgment each and every day. One day, the pride of man will be shattered. It will be brought low. So, in response, we bring ourselves low before God each and every day. If he is mighty... We humble ourselves before him. We are called, uh, as we consider the, the might and the strength of God, second duty that emerges is that we are called to make repentance, to repent to this God, and to submit to the way of salvation that he prescribes. What does he say about how you are counted right with him? 
What does he say about how you can be reconciled to him? Submit to what he says in the gospel to seek salvation in Christ and forgiveness in him alone. For Hebrews 10, 31 says, It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. There, uh, the writer, the, the author of Hebrews is writing to Christians and he's still reminding them that it is a fearful thing to fall into God's hands. Allow that to fuel your faithfulness. Allow that to fuel your seeking after humility because God is almighty, because he is powerful. In Hebrews 2, how shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation? So we rejoice and submit to what he gives to us in the gospel. We are also called to tremble at the judgments of God in order to keep away from sin and in order to keep away from mocking God's name. Psalm 39, Psalm of David, it says this, I am mute, I do not open my mouth, for it is you who have done it. There, uh, David gives us this, this view of if God has done something, our responsibility as humans is not to complain, uh, not to speak back, not to accuse God of not having wisdom or this or that. It is to accept what he gives to us from his hand. Isaiah 30, for thus says the Lord God, the Holy One of Israel, in returning in rest you shall be saved, in quietness and in trust shall be your strength. Our posture is to be quiet before God. We live in a world that is consumed with this idea of self-identity. And uh, there's something I was listening to this past week where all of these problems are now emerging where people have this mindset that they can identify as whatever they want or uh, whoever or whatever they want to be. They can live that life. And The problem is that for their own viewpoint, they're looking inward and they're saying, okay, this is what I feel I am and what I think I ought to be. So they change various things about the course of their life and can spend tens of thousands of dollars on surgeries and many different things. And they're calling the universe to submit to their own feeling of who they are. And at some point in society, you're going to have conflicting interests. And so... There are various legal battles being uh, waged now just to try to answer these questions for how can we keep a sort of a peaceful society when so many people are looking inward and saying, this is who I am, now the rest of the world, you must submit to it. As God's people, what do we do? We submit to God's judgments. One of the reasons why we read the law week after week to remind ourselves that we don't get to define the boundaries of how we can live. We submit to God. Many people uh, mock God. And I remember watching one debate where there was sort of an atheist and a a Christian. The atheist sort of gets up at the beginning of the debate and he says, oh, by the way, uh, I just want to, if there is a God, I want to tell him right now that he is welcome to show up tonight. And if he shows up, then I will believe in him. You see all kinds of mockery of God uh, in the public square nowadays. But something to consider as we look at Scripture is that our overly materialistic 
world and worldview should not cause us to think that God will not send judgment upon those who scorn him, upon those who mock him. In Scripture, remember Nadab and Abihu, the sons of Aaron, who offered strange fire uh, before the Lord. And we read in Leviticus 10, fire came out from before the Lord and consumed them, and they died before the Lord. Then Moses said to Aaron, This is what the Lord has said. Among those who are near me, I will be sanctified. And before all the people, I will be glorified. And Aaron held his peace. Why? Because he understood that this is a glorious God. He understood that this is a powerful God. Now, of course, in the day-to-day life, those who mock God, none of us have ever seen fire come out from heaven and consume anyone. But we know that God sees all things. And we know that one day the balances will be set right. And so we should fear the judgments of God as the one who is almighty, as the one who is powerful. Listen to what William Perkins says in regards to the power of God. He says, our duty is to tremble and fear, and it were greatly to be wished that we could, with open eye, behold the terribleness and fearfulness of God's judgments. It would make a man to quake and to leave off sin. If a man pass by some high and dangerous place in the night, when he cannot see, he is not afraid. But if you bring him back again in the day, and let him see what a steep and dangerous way he came, he will not be persuaded to pass that same way again for anything. So it is in sinning. For men living in ignorance and blindness will practice any wickedness and do not care for God's judgments. But when God of his goodness brings them back and opens their eyes to see the downfall to the pit of hell and the judgments of God due to their sins, they say they will never sin as they have done, but become new men and walk in the way of eternal life. Those are the the, the kinds of things that become our duties when we consider the power of God and what it does to fuel our desire for faithfulness. But there's a more comforting side to the picture as well. You don't get much of the depth of the comfort unless you have the power of the might of God. The wonderful thing is that this almighty God, the maker of heaven and earth, the one who created it all, has sovereignly desired to be our Father in Jesus Christ. The idea of, or the advantage of God being our Father is represented in an old playground or classroom argument uh, between young students, right? Perhaps some of you engaged in this conversation at some point in your life. My dad is stronger than yours. My dad is stronger than yours. And the idea of what's going on there is that uh, one child is saying to another, The help that I have is better than the help that you have. My dad is my advocate. He's my helper. He's uh, a source of strength for me. And he's stronger than your advocate and your helper. I was uh, doing some piggyback rides this afternoon and getting a little bit tired between uh, worship services. Needed a little break. And I told my daughter, I'm not strong enough to continue doing this. And she said, but daddy, you're the strongest person in the world. She made a good point. So. Uh, but it's that, that, that idea, right, that our Father is strong and He's our helper. And in God, in uh, the, the first person of the Trinity, we have the advocate of all advocates, the strength of all strengths. 
There is no one like him, and there's no one as strong as him, and he becomes in Jesus Christ our Father. So what it means to believe in him as our Father is that we are saying that we believe that he is the Father of Christ who eternally begets the Son. And we are saying that in Christ he is our Father. But there's also sort of a personal way that it attaches to us, that just as Christ's benefits are applied to me, that he died for me, so also when we say that this God is our Father, we're saying he is my Father, particularly. And because of that, we will ever trust in him. It's a blessing, because as we read in John chapter 8, our Father in Christ is opposite to our Father in nature. By nature, conceived in sin, we are of our father, the devil. We are sinners, and the apple does not fall that far from the tree. We are capable of intense and gross evil. It was interesting to see as these terrible shootings unfolded, and and then you have all kinds of commentary emerge over the next couple days. Well, we need to do this, and we need to do that. But the commentary usually on major news networks doesn't center around discussions on the total depravity of man. That is the problem. You can take away all the guns you want. And what happens in California a couple days later, there was a stabbing incident where a man went crazy with a knife and killed and stabbed a bunch of people. We are sinners. By nature, we are of our father, the devil. By grace... Our Father is the Father of our Lord, Jesus Christ. And these are obviously blessed things. Blessed things that we know of and hear of in the gospel. But there are various duties that arise from it. So we'll talk about the duties that arise from the Father of Jesus Christ being our Father. And then we'll end with the comforts. So, if the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ is our Father then first, we must obey his will. You know how it goes with fathers and children? You are to obey your father. And so as the people of God, we must obey his will. And you think of Romans chapter 6, those who turn to Christ, repent of their sins, uh, they are not to continue in sin. They are to live obeying their father. Not only must they obey him, but they must imitate him. They must imitate God in a couple of different ways. First, you imitate God by doing good to those who persecute you. Doing good to those who are evil to you. And that, of course, is seen chiefly in that God has willed to save the sinners who have rebelled against him. All of us, we directly looked at God and we spurned him. We turned and ran the other way. So we imitate God by doing good to those who persecute us. In Matthew chapter 5, Jesus says this, I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. For he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even Gentiles do the same? You therefore must be perfect, as your heavenly Father is perfect. The God who is good to those who sin against him, his children are to do the same. 
and be good to those who persecute them. Secondly, we imitate our God by being merciful to those who need help. Being merciful to those who need help. Psalm 146, God executes justice for the oppressed. He gives food to the hungry. He sets the prisoners free. He opens the eyes of the blind. He lifts those who are bowed down. The Lord loves the righteous. He watches over the sojourners. He upholds the widow and the fatherless. But the way of the wicked he brings to ruin. Of course, we understand that chiefly in a spiritual way. That God has set us free from our spiritual bondage. But as those who reflect him in this world, we are called to have compassion for those who need help. So we obey him. We imitate him. Thirdly, we are to be heavenly minded and not cast down with the cares of this life. This is how you think about it. Psalm 104. That, that one, that being who has created all things, he is your father. He's welcomed you into his house. He, said, you are, he has said, you are my child. So we are to be heavenly minded and not cast down with the fears of this life. Jesus says, once again, returning to the Sermon on the Mount, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They, they neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? It's the mark of those who are not God's people in this world to constantly worry about where their earthly sustenance will come from. It is the mark of God's people to rest in his sovereignty. And so Jesus goes on to say, Therefore do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. We are to understand and know that every, the whole span of our life is laid out, and our heavenly Father knows what we need to get us to the end. Next, we are to bear suffering with great patience. We are to bear suffering with great patience. Whatever comes our way, we know that God is turning it to our good. We know that God is sanctifying us through it. So learn, uh, listen to Hebrews chapter 12, talking about the discipline of the Lord. In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. And have you forgotten the exhortation that addressed you as sons? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline, in which all, in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons." Besides this, we have had earthly fathers who disciplined us and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the Father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time, as it seemed best to them. But he disciplines us for our good, that we may share his holiness. You think about discipline here not so much as a response to something bad you have done but discipline as leading a child in the right way. 
and sort of the daily setting out for them and with all of the sort of falling off the path and little course corrections, that is the discipline of the Lord. And he sends things our way in order that he might teach us obedience and faithfulness. Samuel Rutherford says this, I find crosses, that is sufferings, I find crosses, Christ's carved work that he marks out for us. And that with crosses, he figures and portrays to us his own image, cutting away pieces of our ill and corruption. Lord, cut. Lord, carve. Lord, wound. Lord, do anything that may perfect your Father's image in us and make us fit for glory. So we are to bear suffering with great patience because the God of all the earth, of all the universe, is our Father. Next, we are to live under the house rules of God. As long as you live under my roof, you will live according to my rules. Maybe you've heard your own earthly father say that. As long as you live under my roof, you live according to my rules. Well, we, we always live under God's roof. We are always his child, and we always live in his kingdom and in his house. Chiefly, we live according to the rules of God by fleeing idolatry and seeking righteousness. That's the way God's people are to live. 2 Corinthians 6, what agreement has the temple of God with idols? For we are the temple of the living God. As God has said, I will make my dwelling among them and walk among them and I will be their God and they shall be my people. Therefore go out from their midst and be separate from them, says the Lord. In other words, go out from the other nations and don't live like them and touch no unclean thing. Then I will welcome you and I will be a father to you and you shall be sons and daughters to me. Since we have these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from every defilement of body and spirit, bringing holiness to completion in the fear of God. Those are the duties that arise from the fatherhood of God. We'll close tonight with a few comforts. The comforts that come from God being our Father. The greatest dignity, uh, the greatest change in dignity has occurred. In John chapter 8, you are of your father, the devil. To go from being a child, uh, a slave to sin, to a son of God, and to have that uh, a status that can never be taken away is the greatest change in dignity that could ever happen in the universe. To all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Second comfort is when we live with a purpose to obey God, to strive after him, and to live in faithfulness to him, then God will bear with our weaknesses. A lot of times we think about sanctification we think about living uh, the obedient life, we can get worried because we, we go to Scripture and it says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. And then we find ourselves thinking like, Romans 7, the very good that I want to do, that's not what I do. The question for us, for our comfort, is more about endeavoring and purposing to live in obedience to God and for His glory. What does a father want to see in his children? He knows his children are not going to be perfect. He knows his children are going to stumble and fall. But is there going to be a a, a remorse over failure? Is there going to be a, a seeking after repentance and restoring the relationship? Is there going to be a trusting in the goodness of the Father and in the love of the Father and in endeavoring and purposing to live to please Him 
henceforth. And so when you sin and when you fall into sin, make great effort to throw yourself on the mercy of God. Don't ignore God for a couple of days and say, I'm going to go be obedient for a little while and then I'm going to pray again. Throw yourself on the mercy of God and trust in his love and beg forgiveness and tell him that you will make improvement and you will live with full purpose of and endeavoring after new obedience as he empowers you. As a father shows compassion on his children, so the Lord shows compassion on those who fear him. For he knows our frame, right? He knows who we are. He knows that we are dust. He knows we will fail, but he bears with our weaknesses. If it is, another comfort, if it is the duty of an earthly father to provide, and it is, then we know that God will provide all that we need, body and soul, until our last breath. God does not give us pictures of who he is by mistake. He did not uh, give us this, this picture, this metaphor of him being a father, and then afterwards say, oh man, I shouldn't have done that, because think of all the responsibilities fathers have. He knew what he was doing. And he knew that this very truth would bring us comfort. Your heavenly father knows that you need all these things. Consider the lilies. Look at all of the world around you and how God provides. He will provide all that you need, body and soul, until our last breath. And then finally, we have a right to an audience with the king of kings, the son of a king, the prince. He has the right to enter the throne room of his father whenever he wants. And perhaps no one else in the kingdom has that great privilege. And that is what we have because we are counted righteous in Christ. See, it's only in Christ. That's why that idea of union with Christ or living in him or abiding in him is so vital for us. Because only Christ is the natural Son of God. We are not sons of God in that way by nature. But in Christ we are. And so as we are clothed with His righteousness, we have an audience with the King of Kings. And so Hebrews says that we are to approach the throne of grace with confidence. That we have confidence to enter the holy place by the blood of Jesus. And so let us Draw near with a true heart and have full assurance of faith. Draw near to God in Jesus Christ. Take advantage of what he gives to you in Jesus Christ to have an audience with the King of Kings, the God of all the universe. He hears you. He loves you. And he is your Father in Jesus Christ. I'll end by reading this from Francis Turretin. It says, When you say that God is our light, our life, our shield, our strength, our Redeemer, and our Father. You have said a great deal, certainly, but you will have said nothing that is not included in this one expression, that God is our God. For if that is the case, there is nothing in God that is not for us. Everything in his nature and all his incomprehensible powers belong to us. We enjoy all his goods, All the wonderful things that he displays in nature or in grace contribute to our happiness. And if you want to consider what this means more clearly, think about these three incomparable benefits that the covenant sets forth for us. Union with God, communion in his graces, 
and conformity to his virtues. For if he is our God, we should not doubt that he wants to be united to us, to make us participate in all his graces, and to make us resemble himself. Amen. May he do so by his power. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that we can call upon you as Father. We thank you for all of these truths, and we pray that you will impress them upon our minds by the power of your Spirit working through your word. In Christ's name we pray.